Hey everybody, welcome to episode 3 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host Matt. Today's guest, Spencer Dennis, founded the coaching platform Coach Now, which allows coaches and athletes to communicate, educate, and collaborate by using one platform to monitor progress, collect data, complete video analysis, and provide and receive feedback. Spencer shares his coaching experience with us and gives us insight as to why he created the platform that now services over 60 sports across over 140 countries. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Today, we've got Spencer Dennis joining us from Coach Now. He's the founder of uh, coaching platform Coach Now. So, Spencer, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah, stoked to be here. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, just want to kind of jump in and, and talk about Coach Now, but want you to, uh, if you could, just start a little bit with kind of who you are and, you know, what you've done in your golf career and what led you to develop the Coach Now platform. Sure, yeah. So the, the quick background on me is that once upon a time, I used to be a really competitive soccer player, doing club soccer and junior Olympics and things like that. And then sadly, ended up having some serious back problems that led to me when I was about 15, 16, having a spinal fusion that took me out of playing soccer, but strangely introduced me to playing golf uh, because it was a somewhat of a low impact sport, uh, but the fusion was low enough in my spine where I could still rotate without too much pain. So I started playing golf and within about a year, I was a scratch golfer and then I started pretty late, as I already mentioned. So I did a little bit of college golf, didn't necessarily find the right fit for me at that level. Um, but then left, had a good amateur career, played a little bit of professional golf. But then sadly, when I was in my early 20s, um, some of the back pain started coming back and it actually turned into nerve pain, which made it difficult to walk and all this other stuff. Um, so yeah. during that time, it's hard to play competitive golf if you can't walk. Uh, so I got into <laughs> I got into coaching. And during my coaching career, I uh, quickly became the director of instruction at a club in the Thousand Oaks area here in California. That led me to being recruited by the folks at IJGA, and back then, Hank Haney was involved. Um, they had intended to bring an academy out to California, um, but last minute, they decided not to do so, which left me a little bit in limbo between my other job that I'd had and then working with them. So I ended up getting together with the Gary Gilcrest Academy out in Florida, okay. and during that, we, myself, and the other guy that I was going to be working with for the IJGA, his name's Jeff Trosh, who's an amazing uh, mental coach, especially in the world of junior golf. He's really, really well known. Um, he and I approached the Gilcrest Academy and said, hey, we've got a great spot for you in California. Maybe you guys are interested in bringing it out. And so that resulted in me working over in Florida for about a year, uh, learning the ropes and how they do that with the goal of bringing the academy back to California. We then did bring the academy back to California, um, but the challenge with running a full-time boarding academy in California on top of all the other issues that you well know, Matt, because you've been involved in it, um, is that California is crazy expensive. So (laughs) it was very difficult for them to be able to sustain it from a business standpoint, just with all the expenses that come just by being in California. Um, So that didn't end up working out. I I left the academy before it it kind of fully um, stopped. 
and then started coaching as an independent. So back to what I used to do. And, and I was working with a lot of elite juniors at that time, mini tour players, um, some ex-national players from different countries, and then very, very passionate uh, amateurs of all ages. So my specialty or my, my niche, so to speak, was working with those dedicated players. And again, they didn't have to necessarily be a scratch golfer, but it was somebody that really wanted to take where they were and improve it. And so it was about long-term coaching plans and a very holistic approach, working with mental trainers and fitness trainers and anybody else that might be involved, moms, dads, college coaches, whoever was involved in the athlete's development. Um, I was really, really passionate about doing that and making sure that the athlete had everything that they needed to be successful. The challenge is, if you even just kind of go back to my academy days, the academy, and you know, Matt, like theoretically, it should be a perfect environment, right? You're only working with the same kids. Sure. You've got all these people around you. So everyone you would think would know what was going on. But as you well know, yeah. they don't. Right? Yeah. So I looked, at the, yeah, sure. I looked at the academy world. I'm like, geez, okay, well, we've got all these resources and the athletes are still confused. The other coaches are still confused. Mom and dad don't even know what's going on. And now I'm this independent coach trying to piece all this stuff together, working with hundreds of athletes and dozens of different coaches. How are we going to piece this whole story together? And the reality is that we couldn't. So I was spending right. 40 or 50 hours a week outside of my normal coaching sessions trying to create this optimum learning environment, right? So typically somebody comes to you and you have them for an hour or two or however long you like to meet with someone. And in my case, it was a minimum of two hours. And the learning environment when you're in person is ideal, right? It's just you and that person, and you can do what uh, Daniel Coyle broke down in the talent code where you can have expert coaching, you can have deep practice, and you can provide that level of ignition to keep them motivated. But what the heck is supposed to happen when they leave you, which is, you know, in most cases, 95% plus of their development time is away from that actual coach. In the right. academy... So, like, how do you have visibility still and keep those communication channels open. Absolutely. Yeah. And how does the athlete know what they're supposed to do? Right. And, and, and if we're saying the academy world still can't even pull this off, how is someone like me supposed to pull this off? So um, I was spending all this time trying to piece it together via email, text, YouTube, Dropbox, using other coaching tools, and it just wasn't working. So I was at the point, even though I was doing really well as a mid twenties, you know, age wise coach, uh, making six figures coaching, my effective hourly rate was somewhere around $10 with the amount of work I was putting in. Right. So right. my life yeah. was not fun. I didn't have a lot of spare time. And uh, the worst thing for me is I didn't, I didn't feel that the package I was delivering to my athletes was what I wanted. Right. I, I felt like there could be something better. Um, right. So I was so frustrated that I was about to call it quits and move on to something else. Uh, but a couple of friends of mine got together and we talked about it and they're very tech savvy and had worked in the tech space for a while, either selling it or building it. And they said, well, if we can fix this issue for you, then we can likely scale it up and fix it for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And that was the origins, like the, the seed of it all. And now we've been at it uh, since late 2014. And now we're, you know, in a 60 plus sports, 140 countries and continuing to grow. And I can fill in all the other gaps as we go. But that's, you know, essentially the origin of it all. Sure, sure. So. Yeah, that's an awesome story. I mean, obviously, you've got a really extensive background. I mean, I think that the best solutions are born when you run into real world problems. For sure. Right? I mean, you're 
you were going through some stuff and just trying to figure out a solution to, you know, how do you make this a better, um, you know, how do you create a better tool, you know, for this coaching environment that can solve a lot of the little issues that have kind of added up over time in your experience. So, um, yeah, it's really neat. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what the platform does? You know, I know that you're working with a lot of, you know, teams and groups and individuals yeah. and stuff like that, or your coaches are. So, I mean, what does the platform do exactly? Well, let's, let's start with who it's for, and then we can talk about what sure. it does. I think that'll paint the picture even easier. So our, our yep. target customer would be coaches, teachers, trainers, instructors, however you want to classify yourself. And that particular person earns a significant amount of their income coaching, right? So they're not, typically they're not the, uh, you know, weekend soccer dad, something like that, right? Where they're just right. trying to keep their head above water. Uh, so our, our customers are those that are running a business of coaching. And then we help them run their businesses more effectively because they use the platform to communicate, train, and ultimately build deeper relationships with their customers, which in most cases are athletes, right? Um, we right. do have other people using it for employee training, sales training, even medical training. Um, but for the purpose of what we usually do as of right now is, you know, coach to athlete kind of relationships. So for a coach, it allows them to have uh, a relationship management platform is what we call it. And it allows that coach to have dedicated areas to communicate to either one athlete at a time or multiple athletes at a time. So we have uh, areas to communicate called spaces, and then we have another area called teams. And the spaces, you want to think about it if you're a junior golfer listening to this or a parent, a space is like uh, a dedicated training journal. It's collaborative. It allows the athlete to have all the things from their actual coaching session, but then that athlete can go ahead and use it to document what they're doing, whether it be a note about a recent tournament, maybe some statistics, maybe they have their own launch monitor at home, they can do some stuff, or the most usual case is, hey coach, uh, here's a swing that I made recently, uh, it, the ball went this way, it felt this way, what would you suggest? So it's essentially the yeah. entire athletic journey, and it's very collaborative in nature, whereas most coaching tools, and I would call them tools because I think that's what they are, they they fulfill one piece of the puzzle, but not the whole thing. And I, I think we do a really nice job of, of completing the puzzle. And then if we don't necessarily have a particular feature like statistics, uh, we can absorb information from other stats programs to complete the picture for that athlete and that coach. Now, right. for the coach, where the, the magic happens is not only is it collaborative between the coach and the athlete, but then all the key stakeholders are, are involved and they're able to see what's going on without necessarily having to do emails, texts, and phone calls, everyone can be either actively engaged or passively engaged. They can kind of see what's going on just in the background, like mom and dad can just passively see what's going on. Um, sure. And that allows the coach to save an, uh, you know, a ton of time in this after session work. Coaches usually save like 10 or 15 hours a week using our platform because they don't go home and text or email or just other stuff. And mm -hmm. for those that are parents, right, it's a big deal uh, or I should say those coaches that are coaching juniors, it's a big deal because, like I said before, parents can passively be involved. And I think the typical challenge in the coach-parent relationship is that neither side know what the other's doing. So I, I know yeah. you've seen it a lot, right? You just gave uh, have, a coaching yeah. session to one of your athletes, and then 10 minutes later, the, the mom or dad or the, the, the parent is then saying something completely opposite of what just happened. 
you know, and you, and you right. see them on the other side of the range, like, no, this isn't what, you know, coach Matt meant. And it's like, and then the right, athletes right. arguing and then it just goes south. But so yeah. it provides this level of transparency and accountability uh, that makes it really, really simple for everyone involved in the athlete's life to be more in sync. So it saves time, it creates less headaches, and hopefully for the athlete, they have more forward momentum rather than this two steps forward, one step back kind of thing that most people are used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had the opportunity to use the platform when I was at IMG Academy and yeah, it, it does exactly that in my opinion. And I don't know if you would agree with this analogy or not, but I often, when talking to people, you know, about coach now, I've always said, you know, kind of think of it as from a look and feel perspective, it's almost like a social media feed with yep. a real intimate, group of people um and like you said you can be passive or you can be active you know depending on how you want to interact with that but yeah i think the importance is really that level of transparency because you know it just it just brings everybody together and puts everybody on the same page about what's actually happening during those training sessions absolutely yeah and we designed it to be that way so i'm glad you mentioned that because if you're not looking at it right you're listening to a podcast you can't see what we do so the, the feel right. is, is very familiar. It should feel kind of like Instagram, um, but right. it has more robust, specific coaching features. And I would say the, the very, very clear separation on top of all the stuff I've already mentioned is that it's distraction-free, meaning if you have an athlete that you're connected to, or you're the athlete, let's say, for the purpose of this conversation, you're not going to see all the other athletes that you know. You're not going to see a bunch of other coaching information coming your way. So there's no discovery. There's no search engine. It's just all about you. So it's distraction free. So this is your area right. to get better. This is not your area to get sucked into endless scrolling about your, your friends <laughs> updates around their breakfast or whatever it is. Yeah. Going down that rabbit yep. hole. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, in the Academy world and, just kind of dive into it a little bit because we're just talking about all the people that can be involved and you know who you can invite to the space one of the things that i saw in the academy world and i'm sure this can be true of if you're working with a fitness coach that's in a different area or yep. a mental coach that's in a different area you know one of the challenges that i saw in the academy space was you know i may have a coach back home that I work with, you know, when I'm home for the summer or something like that. And then I go to school and I've got a different instructor and, you know, how do we really make sure that we're all on the same page? Because when I go back home for the next summer, I'm going to go back and see that instructor. And, you know, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? too? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think the unfortunate part in all of professional coaching, right. When I say coaches that make money, um, right. the problem is, I think you run into a lot of people that will discourage you from seeing other coaches, right? If you're the athlete, sure. right? They'll say, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, like, that. it's all about me. Like, pay attention to me. And right. I don't necessarily think that's always coming from an ego standpoint. I think a lot of times it comes from a sensitivity around the athlete getting confused, Right. Because they have right. too much information coming from different places that are that's not in, in sync. It's not on the same plan. Right. What we've seen is when you have this level of transparency across professionals, if the professionals have the athlete's best interest at heart, which is what you want. So if you're a parent or an athlete listening to this and you maybe think your coach doesn't have that, you should probably switch because um, right. it's not about them. <laughs> it's about you. 
Um, But let's assume the coach has the athlete's best interest at heart. That coach should do everything they can to give the athlete the best chance for success, right? And as a part of that, they should be focusing on what they are good at while outsourcing the rest, meaning outsource the physical, outsource the mental, outsource the nutritional. And in some cases, since this is very golf-centric, it may even be outsourcing putting or outsourcing uh, course management, right? So you shouldn't necessarily feel like you've got to be the coach that coaches everything. Um, But I think a lot of coaches fall into that trap because there's outside of a platform like ours, there's no real easy way to keep all the people moving in the same direction without confusing the athlete. Um, So we heavily believe in it. And that's a lot of, I'll tell you just a quick story. It it was the final straw for me and why I was about to quit is that I was coaching a young lady who had a lot of talent. She was already getting college interest as a freshman, but she was really struggling with her technique. She was uh, a girl that I think had potential to probably hit the ball 260, 270, but was hitting it maybe 220 with her driver. And, you know, she had a lot of face rotation and was opening it way up. And she could hit it straight, but she couldn't compress the ball because the face was just rotating all over the place, Um, just as a simple example. So she had endless resources, uh, lots of money, lots of availability, uh, very interested, but but sadly, very overbearing parents. Um, But she hired someone like myself. She hired a mental trainer and she had a fitness trainer. So all of these people, we knew each other uh, separately of this, but we didn't have a way to communicate effectively. So what ended up happening is that the athlete was in the middle trying to relay the information from coach to coach as well as from coach to parent to coach to parent, et cetera. Like it was this huge game of telephone. And the sad thing was, is I only ended up getting about two months of time with this girl. We made some significant improvements. She was hitting the ball, you know, probably at that distance that I had suggested that she could earlier, but because her tournament scores within that two months period didn't go from 77 to 67, everybody, the dad lost faith. He's like, well, I can't believe this, right? But the problem was we didn't have a way to really project the progression. We didn't have a way to get all the other stakeholders involved. So then the girl got so bent out of shape because her parents were putting so much pressure on her that she wanted to quit, just quit golf in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. so seeing that and seeing that this, this really sweet, smart, dedicated girl who was working her butt off because communication broke down, actually wanted to quit. And her family actually had to go to therapy afterwards cause it was so bad. Um, wow. that was the final straw. I said, well, if we, if, if I can't fix this and I'm not even going to do this anymore. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that it's, you know, when you're talking about junior players, it's just such a vulnerable age, mm-hmm. right? I mean, from a child's perspective and you know i'm i've been one we've all been you know a kid and i think you're trying to you know you want to please everybody or try to you know you want to listen to mom and dad because they're telling you what to do but you know maybe they don't have the expertise and you want to make your coach happy and you know is score the most important thing so you're worried about putting a good number on the board you know and sometimes you get so caught up in all those different things that if there's not a collaboration a focus on the process and the journey from start to finish, you know, it can end up exactly how you described where, you know, it's almost doing more damage than good, you know, having all these people involved if there's not a a way to bring them all. Yeah. And I think ultimately in her situation, it was really sad because she was a teenager and her, she lived on the golf course. Right. But her dad would not let her go practice without him there. 
he, he it was constant okay. helicopter supervision so that just yeah. amplified our inability to get on the same page because he was expecting right. a level of communication that just flat out wasn't possible and i would say today still isn't possible it just it just can't even happen yeah. uh but all that said i think for that youth athlete, yeah, sometimes if you're going to have that level of micromanagement, it would have been better if she just didn't have any coaching at all and just would have figured it out. She probably yeah. probably would have yeah, had more success without all the drama. Yeah. So, I mean, going further down this line of, of thinking or just the subject, mm -hmm. what kinds of tips do you have for I, – I, I read something, I believe it was maybe one of your guys' sure. blog posts where you were talking about, you know, parent-coach partnerships and – can you give some tips for, you know, what are some positive ways to reinforce those parent coach partnerships, whether it's, you know, through a tool like coach now, or just in general, what can parents do? Um, what role can coach now play in that relationship? Just kind of talk through that. Stuff sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting, right? I, I'm in a very fortunate position where I can talk to coaches from all over the world at very different levels and all sorts of different sports. And you're going you're gonna to have two camps, sadly, around the coach-parent relationship. You're going to have certain coaches that are like, I don't want the parents involved at all. And then you're going to have the coaches that really view the parents as an ally. Now, I think we've had success turning around the coaches that feel like they don't want them involved uh, very, very well. And, and I'll say the main thing why is because of that, that word I shared earlier, which is transparency. So I think most of the time parents – want to obviously reinforce what the coach is saying because they're paying the coach for their expertise, right? But the problem right. is most of the time the parents don't have a very good insight on what's happening because the, the athlete comes home and they say, well, what'd you learn? And the, and the athlete says, well, the food wasn't very good at camp today, right? And, that, <laughs> right. and I know at IMG you hear that a lot. It's like, it's like yeah. You know, you went to this amazing camp and the parents are shelling all this money and the kids just come home and say like, well, the movie we watched wasn't very fun. Right. It's like, well, that's right. not why you're there anyway. So right. I think I think what we see and what I would encourage anybody to do, whether you use a platform like ours or not, is just really find a way to have uh, a level of transparency with your coach that you're that you're using and that would go to when you're interviewing the coach, hopefully you, the athlete, and anybody that's involved in the development process is going to have check-ins, right? You're going to have your initial meeting. You're going to set the level of expectations. You're going to make sure that the coach is helping you plan around whatever tournaments you might be doing. But more importantly, you're all setting, you're level setting what you're expecting and when. And what I mean by that is that are we, are we focused on technique changes right now? Are we focused on uh, improving practice habits? Are we, are we focused on dropping scores? And the answer is probably yes on all of those, but it's not yes all the time. Yeah, how does that fit into the progression? Right, how does that process? And exactly, so how does that fit in? And then how are you all going to stay accountable to that plan? Because as a parent, you can't say, yes, I'm all in to help my, my athlete fix their technique because we recognize, we all agree that, that needs some help in order to get them to the next level. But then at the same time, you cannot say, I agree to that plan. And then two weeks later go, why aren't they shooting the scores that they should be shooting? Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I even went through anything through something just myself, you know, I'm always trying to improve and I play, you know, quite a bit still, but 
you know, I had some internal hip rotation issues and I was, you know, trying to get some more rotation, but I physically could not right. do that. So, you know, I had to go through and I still do, you know, going through corrective exercises and trying to, you know, work on that hip rotation um, while still trying to make, you know, a swing change, but it's a process to get there. You can't just, you know, the, the, the coach that I was working with, Scott Becker over at IMG was talking me through it. And we were kind of laughing about it because I said, I understand what you're trying to get me to do, but I physically can't make that move. So fitness needs to be part of this. My correctives first, as I continue to be mindful of the change that I'm trying to make technically. A hundred percent. And I think as parents, we all need to recognize that there is one of my favorite coaches is a guy by the name of Jim Liston. He's the sports science director at Toronto football club. And he's become a good friend of mine over the years. And he's one of the most amazing people I've ever met, especially when it comes to youth development. He's worked with all sorts of different organizations all over the year, over the years, including lots of professional soccer teams. And he's own, he owns his own uh, fitness facilities and rehab facilities. But one of the things he always talks about is developmental age versus chronological age. Right. So sometimes yeah. you might have a nine year old that chronologically is nine, but developmentally he's like 13. Right. He's just ahead of it. Right. He's just kind of picking sure. it up. So there's always going to be this separation between how much input an athlete can take. So you just need to recognize where they are in that developmental curve. But you also need to recognize that if we're dealing with teenagers in particularly, they may grow an entire foot in one year. So right. how how is that? golfer and i think golf is maybe the harder one because you have this this implement right that you need to continue to adjust because it's not long enough for you right how is that kid going to be able to continue to play at a really high level as they're growing and the the answer is usually not so you got to have a little level of forgiveness there and understand that this is a long process it's not what have you done for me lately especially in golf like right you got to give you got to give everybody a little room to grow, uh, room to experiment, room to fail. Uh, and I think that last part of what I just said, I think is maybe the most important that I've seen across what we do at Coach Now and why we've created a private distraction-free environment where it's not all about sharing, right? It's not all about likes and views uh, is because you need to create an environment where people feel like it's okay to fail because that's the only way your yeah. brain grows, as they say in my son's kindergarten class, right? Yeah, it just it makes it a safer. Yeah, yeah, sure. and I think you want to have that understanding. Going back to what I said originally, you want to have that understanding from the very beginning, and you want to treat, in my opinion, uh, if you're investing money in coaching, you want to treat it like a business relationship. You want to have periodic check-ins. You want to make sure everybody's in sync. You want to not run hot off of emotions. You want to let everybody right. know it's okay to experiment. It's okay to fail as long as we're learning. And hopefully as we're yeah. learning, we're getting better. Yeah. And I mean, I think it doesn't matter what level you're at, you know, we're specifically talking to a, a junior golf audience here, but you know, it doesn't really matter what level you're at. Um, some of the best juniors in the players, or I'm sorry, best juniors in the world, you know, have those stumbles mm -hmm. and fall. I had um, Cannon Claycomb, on a couple of weeks ago, uh, who's the number fifth ranked player in the AJGA oh, rankings wow. okay. right now. He finished second at the junior PGA this year. Um, he went like 62, 64, wow. 68, 66, or something like that. 21 under and took That's second. That's amazing. <laughs> but then he went up to Canada the next week 
and he shot, uh, I think like 73, 80. Yeah. And he didn't even make the cut. So we were kind of talking about that a little bit. And, you know, he's a mature player. He's, he's a little bit mature beyond his years in terms of where he is mentally with his game and stuff like that. But, you know, it was interesting to him to listen to him talk about how, you know, he was able to bounce back and just have a short memory almost with, you know, that, that second tournament up in the Canadian open and, you know, he bounced back and, and just gets back to work and focuses on the process and the things that he knows are going to work for him in the long term. Absolutely. And I think on that note, uh, some of the things that maybe can be passed down to anybody listening to this about best practices that we see amongst the tour players, as well as college players, because we have the majority of the tour using it, uh, the men's and women's tour internationally and, and uh, you know, stateside using it with their coaches. And then we have a lot of collegiate mm-hmm. programs using it as well. Um, so some of the things that I would see in this, um, most everybody here should probably recognize the name Maverick McNeely. Yeah, so Maverick's a, a stud for sure. And he was a, kind of a late bloomer in golf, which I think is a really cool thing for all of us to recognize. He's a multi-sport athlete, late bloomer in a way. Um, but we can't show anybody this, but I can speak to it. Uh, the way that he's used coach now in the past was so diligent, so detailed he would he would document every practice and every tournament what he learned what he could do better what he could adjust right he was he was journaling and uh what we see across all the different sports and especially at the olympic level which we also have a lot of people using it for the best athletes in the world do three things they think about what they're going to do so they plan about they plan it they then do it and then they review it or assess it right See if they need to right. So they do the three layers, right? Most athletes, right. most athletes, especially casual weekend golfers, just do the second part. They just show up and do it. Right? <laughs> they just show up and just hit it and go with the day. The better athletes plan and do, but the best athletes plan, do, and review. And I think yeah. when we look at coach now, it has that capability to be that lifelong journal. And if you look at the way that you prepare and the way that you, um, the way that you essentially activate your behavior and then the way that you kind of think about what you did, if you can have that constant right. pattern, you're going you're gonna to accelerate your development really, really quickly. And if you're a coach listening to this, if you can help your athlete do that, even when they have down periods in their development, they're going to have enough of a history to where they can maintain right. a level of confidence because they understand that they're, they have this long-term plan and they're able to see how far they've come, even if their results don't always show it. Right. So you right. Can, I mean, you have a log from day one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think one of my favorite kind of visuals for people to think about is when you climb a mountain, we all love to kind of climb mountains inherently. It's kind of built into our DNA. The first thing you do when you climb something high is you look down and see how far you've come, right? There's my house or look, yeah. look, I was way down there a little while ago. Now I'm up here and all that hard work. And now I can see where I was. So if you're not providing your athlete with the ability to look back and see how far they've come, then you're really shortchanging them because they're only going to be viewing their successes off of what they did recently. Right. Sure. And golf has that, that challenge uh, inherently built in where you can lose confidence so quickly if you don't have a a good perspective. Yeah. I mean, what do you think too about like, you know, here we are in September this year, let's say, you know, last September, I remember 
and I'm just speaking figuratively at this point, but, you know, last September, you know, I was at the height of my game, you know, I was doing things really well from a, I always struggled with my alignment maybe. And, you know, I, I, last, last September, I remember I really got into a good groove where I had some good checks and balances and, you know, using a platform like coach. Now I can go back and look at my history and say, you know, when I was doing things really well, um, I can go back and maybe look at some of those drills that I was doing at that time, uh, start re-implementing some of those things that, that got me essentially to the, to the top of that mountain. Right. Um, so I think that that's something neat to reflect on too, is you can just, you can use it in so many different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the early stories of what planted the seed for me is there's a young girl, Amelia, that I uh, was coaching actively for a number of years. She, I met her when she was 12. She used to live in Dubai because uh, her dad's in the oil and gas industry. And when she was in Dubai, she had the great fortune of working with Claude Harmon at his schools out there. Um, okay. And she ended up winning the uh, Dubai amateur, the women's amateur at the ages of 11 and 12. Right. She was really, wow. really good. And then she comes over to me and I meet her in the town that I'm coaching. And I say, wow, you work with Claude Harmon. So tell me what you what you were doing. Why were you playing so well? What were what your swing look like? What were you thinking? What was your practice like? And the only thing her dad and her could give me was he used to make me run around a lot. That was wow. it. Right. Okay. So she had this amazing experience. I, as a coach, am trying to do what I believe is the right coaching methodology as far as like, let's build off of what was already working. Let's not rebuild this whole thing. Um, But I couldn't. I had to start from scratch because nobody had the information. So I didn't know what her tendencies were, right? Because in golf, it's a fickle game. Some days you're going, taking the club inside, outside. But if I only see one swing and you're taking the club way outside and I go, wow, you're taking it way too far outside. It it might be because you're working away from dragging it way inside. Right. So, right. So let's, let's know why you're doing what you're doing. But across all sports, even some of the major league baseball players I've met, um, it's like, well, what, what did your swing look like? What were you doing in the gym? What were you thinking about? What was your, what was your routine in regards to like your pre-shot routine in baseball when you're up there, you know, in the batter's box? And like, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have no clue. <laughs> yeah. you know? And even at the major league level, they got up there. Right. And right. the major league still to this day throws people at the problem, not technology. So I, I, it's embarrassing to say, because we've had conversations with them, but it's embarrassing to say that still certain major league teams will have a dedicated iPad person that sits in a room and loads videos onto individual iPads really? versus just some level of cloud storage. <laughs> you know, it's like, at least yeah. use Dropbox or something if you're not going to use us. Like, don't just have <laughs> one person loading swings on an iPad. Um, yeah, exactly. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's imperative that you give yourself the opportunity to have some sort of reference point on far, how far you've come in, in any way, shape or form. Yeah. You just got to do it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in terms of technology and coaching, um, can you talk a little bit about just how much it's transformed in the coaching world? I mean, you know, you go back to your early coaching days, I'm sure there were times where you may have had, you know, video sure. cameras out there at some point. I know that some of the, coaches I've worked with in the past would talk through that with them and then you're taking tapes back and reviewing them and so I mean what are the benefits that 
have come with the rise of technology and coaching? And I mean, is there any, are there any negatives that came with that? Sure. Idea? Good question. Yeah. So I think I, I've got some friends that have been in the business a lot longer than me on the golf side and were somewhat pioneers. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I've spent a lot of time with David Ledbetter as, as an example. Um, but a good friend of mine named Michael Wilson, who, who used to coach Mike Weir and coaches in the Palm Springs area, uh, he was sharing with me uh, a setup that he did where he had a TV, uh, a huge camera, and he rolled it out, and it was all powered by a golf cart battery. Oh, right? wow. So he had this crazy station that he brought out. And then eventually yeah. it turned into the yellow JC video box, which still a lot of coaches use today. Um, it eventually transformed into me having a laptop wired up to a camera via firewire, then print, you know, burning CDs or DVDs for people, um, which is a huge pain. Uh, a lot of times the CDs or DVDs would get lost and you'd spend all that time and nobody right. watched them anyway. Um, yeah. and then beyond that, I was one of the first adopters of using video of any sort that was mobile. So I was even trying to use a Palm pilot when it first came out. And it was okay. so grainy and so terrible, but it was still faster. And it was like this level of immediate feedback I could share with my students without having the, to drag this whole computer out, right? And yeah. having to have a power source and all this other stuff like a golf cart battery. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then when the iPad came out, I was the very first one to, well, I shouldn't say the very first one. I adopted the initial iPad that had video capabilities because of the immediate feedback I could give. Um, and so I was using V1 and other tools like that. And right. then as the mobile phones came out and started getting the stronger and the cameras got better, uh, I can tell you for the, from the coach now standpoint, we really landed in a sweet spot because coaches were then adopting once the camera on the phone got better, cause the iPad camera was still behind. It wasn't as powerful sure. as the phone. It, it's powerful now. It just yeah. wasn't that good to begin with. Um, coaches start adopting the phones. And when we launched Coach Now, it was this really sweet spot as far as technology goes. And this is a little bit of a, a nerdy thing, but I think it's fun for people to understand how this works, is that um, mobile technology was at a place where the cameras were good enough, as I've said, where coaches, like high-level coaches, would seriously consider not using a camera, right? So that's number yeah. one. Number two was this thing called cloud computing, which we all talk about cloud computing, but nobody really knows what it is. We just talk about the cloud. Um, but the, the gist is the cloud for a company like mine is that we don't have to invest in a room full of servers. So servers right. are what, you know, send the data around essentially, uh, for those of you that don't know, it's the network, right? But most companies previous to us would have had to get a few million bucks and get a room full of servers so they could host all the videos and send them around. We didn't have to do that because Amazon was so nice to give all their extra compute power to the to the world um, and charge a lot for it. But they did they did us a favor mm -hmm. because we could use it as a utility. So like electricity, we only paid for what we used. So for a startup company, yeah. we were able to get off the ground for not very much money. And then the third component would have been social networking. Right. So people were used to connecting in a social way sharing information right. and, and making connections that way. So we really hit the sweet spot and we were very early. And in a lot of cases, we're still early with the types of things we do, but we would not have been able to launch coach now really any earlier than we did because the technology just didn't exist. Okay. Didn't happen. Um, yeah. So 
it's almost like the perfect storm. For yeah, you. we got we got very lucky, and it ended up allowing us to be way earlier than our competition because our competition at that point would have been uh, companies like V1 and JC Video and others that do really good analysis, but because the technology didn't exist, they couldn't necessarily build in the collaboration, progress tracking, relationship side that we did. Um, and it's been hard for them to catch up because they're very focused on their their area. Um, so as far as technology being a negative thing, it can be for sure. And I think in the golf space, the areas where I would see it potentially being negative is that if a coach becomes data driven instead of data informed, because there is so much data now um, from right. game golf to Arcos to track band flight scope to all the statistical programs around how you score to K vest, all of it. It's all good information, but as Cameron McCormick once told me, which I think is the best way to look at it, he's about as brilliant as a coach as I've ever met in any sport. Yeah. And he's got all the he's got all the tools. He's got all the devices. But he says, you know, I'm I'm always data informed, never data driven. So I think the risky part for coaches would be if you just rely on the track man to tell you everything and you're not able to interpret that and personalize that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I remember even having some of those conversations with the kids when I was at IMG about, you know, the technology is phenomenal. And now when I was growing up playing, I mean, there were some of the things that existed, um, you know, you talk about track man and yeah. stuff like that. It was out there, um, but it just wasn't as accessible. No. And now that, it's super accessible and you, know, you can pull it out onto the driving range with you and it's wireless. And I, I think sometimes I see, you know, kids can get so ingrained in all of those different data points um, where it can almost bog them down a little bit. And at the end of the day, you know, golf is a game about putting the ball in the hole. Yeah. Um, so you got to figure out how to do that while being mindful of the you know technical things and the stuff that you're working on. Right. And I, I, I had a good chance to hang out with uh, Ledbetter, as I said a little bit ago. Uh, I spent a few days with him and we were hitting balls in the track band. And he said, you know, I, I really enjoy the data, but I can tell you from a lot of experiences that a good player, and he was referring to me in this moment because I was hitting balls too. Uh, he's right. like, you can cheat this thing. Right. Oh, because yeah. you could go, OK, well, I don't like the club to be coming at this angle or I want more shaft lean or I want these numbers. And as a good player, you can manipulate all of that. But it might For not sure. be the appropriate way to manipulate it. So you don't necessarily want to be sitting on trackman all day trying to improve your numbers because you may start flipping the club head a whole bunch to get your speed up or to get your path differently or whatever. Um, so you need mm -hmm. to be mindful. Uh, in all the ways you're approaching your game and just making sure that you're intentional and understand what you're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, does that lead us into a little bit about, um, there was a blog post that you guys did, I think back in May, uh, titled feel versus. Oh, real. sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I read that, I thought it was a pretty interesting post. I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, you know, sometimes you just don't have visibility on what you're doing or you think you're making a certain move. Um, you just talk about manipulating numbers and stuff like that. So can you talk a little bit about Sure. That? Yeah. And I, I think golf's a, maybe the best example of, and I think anybody listening to this, if you've taken, when you take your first golf lesson from somebody and they use video, most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, right? You're going to go, whoa, that's not what I thought it was going to look like. Right. For me, a lot of times I'm thinking it's going to look way worse because it just feels so bad, <laughs> you know, because 
I've had so many injuries and it's like, wow, this feels like it's looping 10 different ways. And then you video it and it actually doesn't look that bad. So sometimes it can be yeah. a confidence builder rather than break you down. But for a lot of people, it's, oh, wow, I thought I was swinging just like Tiger and I look like, you know, a, a, a broken lawn chair or something. I can't barely move. <laughs> so I right. think it's imperative that as an athlete, you do need to get feedback. And I think when I talked about my friend Jim Liston, that's the thing he's always saying, right? Appropriate feedback loops. So it's, it's really, really important that you use video to your advantage. And I think if you're not using video at least a few times a week in your practice, you're shortchanging yourself. Now, if you're really focusing on the technical aspect of making some technical changes, you should be using video pretty much constantly. And there's a great application that works very much in harmony with Coach Now. It's called Mirror Vision. Uh, and it's something you can load up on your iPad if you're lucky enough to have an iPad and an iPhone um, where you can put your iPhone behind you and you can have your iPad on the ground and it does a live stream to the iPad. Oh, and then yeah. you can record from there as well or you can just use it as a mirror. So if you're lucky enough to have those kind of resources, that's a great tool that you can use. And then you take the video and you plop it into Coach Now and send it to your coach is what I would suggest mm -hmm. um, because they don't have any collaboration. It's just for that mirror. But if you're not able to use video, then you should at least have a mirror. You should have something around that's giving you visual feedback on how you're doing. If you can't use a mirror, you should use some sort of training aid that restricts your movement or makes you move in a certain way so that you can get feedback. Right? So all I'm saying right. is feedback. Right? So feel versus real is that if you put a golf ball six or seven inches behind the ball that you're hitting and you're working on your takeaway, if you don't hit that ball then that's giving you some immediate feedback on what you think you're doing versus what you're actually doing. Right? right. So set up some feedback loops for yourself. And then the other is if you are using video, it's imperative that you use video that at the same angle every time. Right. Yeah. So you want to make sure that if you're doing face on where like some people call it the caddy view, but it's essentially looking at you where you can see the side of you, not necessarily, uh, the target line, you're seeing just the side, right. um, you yeah. want to make sure that you're in the camera in the same way. And same for the down the line view where you can see the target, you want to make sure the camera is not too far to the left or too far to the right or too high or too low, because that can alter the way that it looks like the club's moving. Right? Right. So just that consistency helps yeah. give you the same look every time. Yep to work on. Yep. Of. And I and I would say there's lots of resources on on best practices on where to put the camera. But more importantly, even if you have it a little wrong, at least have it a little wrong every time, right? Sure. Because then at least you're building some sort of consistency in your feedback to where you can measure from. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, can we talk a little bit about what coach now does from the standpoint of supporting coaches? Um, you know, do you guys have any, you know, types of support systems that you guys have for coaches that are in place or for academies that are out there using the solution? Yeah, so I think I think there's a number of things that we do. Uh, one would be we view ourselves very much not just as a product, but more as a movement in a way. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but at least internally, we're, we're trying to not only provide great technology, but also education and community. Uh, so we're continuing to ramp up uh, the content that we create. And it's not necessarily content that's just me per se. It's it's interviews like this, but flipped around, right? Where I would interview a coach like yourself or an sure. academy owner or a specialty trainer or anybody. And we take that information and, and distribute it out to all the different coaches. We also have 
uh, live webinars where you could ask, ask coaches questions. We have a community called Level Up where we have coaches all around the world sharing ideas and best practices around a number of things. So we, we want to continue to be uh, this educational resource for people. So that's one level. The other level is that the technology itself lends it lends itself to helping uh, academies such as IMG. And as you know, Matt, the entire academy is using it now. So that's 300 plus coaches. Right. We yep. allow communities like that that are very big to not only deliver a better experience to their athletes, but also train the trainer, coach the coach, right? So we, sure. we don't necessarily do that, but the platform allows and lends itself to coaches sharing best practices just even in their own business. Uh, I think a good example right. is the David Ledbetter Academies. They've got geez, upwards of 30 academies now of all these different shapes and sizes, and they run all of their certifications through the platform. So not, not only do they do the coaching, but they have the coaches in Thailand sending in examples of them doing drill videos so that their, their certifying coach can critique them and coach them as well on how to be the best coaches. So okay. it provides oversight. It provides best practices. It provides all of that. And then from our team, we do anything and everything we can to support someone having success. So we'll always do demo calls, video calls, webinars for an entire group of people so they understand how the platform works, uh, live, live chat, whatever it takes just for someone to be successful. Because our, our job is to make the lives of coaches easier and more efficient and more impactful. So we're just doing everything that we can to support uh, a coach, a teacher, a trainer to do what they want to do without all the headaches of understanding how to be technologists, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a firm believer in leading with education and, and, and building around that. So I think that's a, a great system that you guys have built, obviously. And what's, can you talk a little bit about what's on the horizon for coach now, anything new and what you guys are focused on as you continue to grow? Yeah. And I, I think one of the things we experimented on and, and it didn't necessarily work out in the way that we had hoped is kind of broadening our approach to more team sports so we tried that for six months to a year and we had some great adoption, but it, it's not necessarily our core competency. So I think what you'll continue to see us focus on is this skills and movement training, right? So one-to-one -one coaching and small group coaching. And sometimes that's a team. Sometimes that might be a soccer team. But I think the language in which we want to continue to share with people is that while we might not be the best fit for a football team, we're a really good fit for the quarterback coach right? Or the fitness trainer that's a part of that team. So we're, we're really, really good at helping those specialty coaches do what they need to do and looping in everybody else. So you'll see us continue to focus on that message and, and product related things that come that way. Um, we do have video and image analysis in the platform, which the image analysis nobody else has where you can draw lines on, on pictures and actually turn those into videos. Um, so we have the ability to do that. So we're going to keep investing in our video quality and the, the tools that go around the analysis piece. Uh, we're also going to continue for coaches to build out more automation that allows a coach to distribute more practice plans and, uh, you know, remind athletes of what they need to be doing. I think that's going to be really helpful for coaches as well as athletes to get more assistance on helping them, uh, do the right behavior, so to speak, right? To, to continue to have accountability. So we'll continue to work on that. And then there's going to be some things that we're going to experiment on the athlete side with too. So I should say this, I'll say this in kind of a phased approach. So 
one of the things that athletes use our platform for a lot is to get recruited. So think about this. If you're a parent or a junior golfer, this, this might be one of the most important things I can say to you. If nothing else I've said to you would convince you to journal what you're doing is that coaches want to know who you are. They don't want to just see a YouTube video of your best golf swings edited at a perfect camera angle and your statistics and a hi, I'm Joe uh, video. They don't want to see that because that doesn't give them enough information. So we've seen hundreds of kids get scholarships using our platform because they're able to invite in a prospective college coach. That college coach then can see their athletic journey. So if I jump back to the girl I mentioned earlier, Amelia, she was a girl that had a lot of talent, a lot of great scores under her belt, but didn't necessarily have a deep tournament experience on a national scene. Uh, She's a girl that was really impressive immediately upon seeing her because she could hit the ball 280, 290, and very smooth and just a really all-around amazing kid. But you're not able to see that in a canned video and some scores, right? You're not able to see that. Yeah. So she met a number of coaches at the U.S. Junior one year and invited a coach into her space. She's like, hey, we used to be called Edufy. So she said, can I invite you into my Edufy space? And the coach said, well, I don't even know what that is because back then nobody really knew what it was. But sure. (laughs) And within 10 minutes or so, the coach um, said, I feel like I know you better after looking in your space for 10 minutes than I even know my players that I've had for a year on my team. I I want you on my team. I think you could be the best player we've ever had. And she's now playing um, at Baylor. And the the coach I'm referencing was a different school. That's why I'm not mentioning the school. Uh, But she's leveraged this technology to be her recruiting portfolio, right? So that is something that we do currently have. You have that ability to divide in coaches. Things that we are going to experiment with likely in the future is more of a public profile where um, there's some discovery around it where kids could potentially put in certain highlights from their space on a public profile and then invite in coaches kind of into that deeper realm if they want to. Uh, So we'll be experimenting with things that may, may help highlight the athlete's achievements a little bit more. Um, but as I said, our, our core competency is making sure that coaches' lives are easier. And if we do that, then the athletes are going to benefit greatly from just a better coaching experience. Yeah, and I think that goes back to something you mentioned earlier, a word you used earlier and consistently throughout our talk is transparency. And I think that, you know, the main goal when you're going through the college recruiting process is to find the school that's the best fit for you. And in order to do that, there just has to be so much transparency between the family and the student and the coach, because you don't want to show up on day one at XYZ university, uh, you know, and you portrayed yourself one way prior to arriving to campus and you get there and it's completely different than what you thought it was either from, you know, what the, you know, coach was feeling like and what you were feeling like and so I just think that transparency you know coach now can help a lot with that it sounds like and there's some good examples of it already yeah absolutely and I think from a from a junior athlete perspective junior golfer for this for this chat it would be be sensitive like do a do a deep dive of where you might be going and I say that because I had some particularly bad experiences with college golf myself I've had I've coached athletes that have had a mixed bag and I think a lot of times that comes from just not knowing enough and just being, you're being actively recruited, which means you're being sold. Right. And so it's important that you understand. Well, I think it's important to look at the school and go, Hey, if I got hurt and could never play golf again, is this a place I would even want to hang out? 
And I can right. say in my two examples, the answer would have been no, if I asked myself that question. Yeah. Um, right. So think about that and then do whatever you can to interview not only the coach, but interview the players. And if you do have an opportunity to talk to past players, that would be some advice. I know it can be awkward, but if you can talk to players that used to be there that worked with that particular coach, um, that right. would be meaningful. Because again, not every case you're being sold, but you just want to be conscious that your, I guess the things that you want might not be aligned, right? The coach might want one thing and you might yeah. want another, especially as a, as a parent listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. Um, that's about all that I've got for you, but any last minute, you know, tips from Spencer about, you know, for junior golf families that are just going through the process, whether it's, you know, starting out in golf in their journey and, you know, looking to become the best junior player they can or looking to find a really good college fit or, you know, those that maybe even in college that are looking to maybe see if they can make it in the professional ranks. Sure. Yeah. So I'll speak to all of that as quickly as I can. So I think let, let's just talk about the different stages of development a little bit. And I, I think I'm in a, a better place to even sp speak about this now because I've got a, a five and a half year old that loves golf. Um Yep. And, and not really to any fault of mine. I mean, it's like I have to almost tell him, like, we're not going to the golf course today. So but I think he loves it because it's just a very fun place for him to be. Um, I don't give him a ton of instruction. I just let him rip it. The only thing I say is let's just swing that club really fast for him. So I'm just like, yeah, let's just get that club moving fast. Let's hear the whoosh. Let's try to hit it as far as we can. And so really, I'm only saying mm -hmm. to him, let's have the ball at least between your feet somewhere, <laughs> not just like right. behind you. And let's have your thumbs <laughs> down the shaft, right? So that you can hold onto the club in a little split grip. Beyond that, I'm encouraging him to hit left-handed, right-handed. Sometimes I'll encourage him to hit the ball while it's moving, right? So he's just building athleticism. And then he plays tennis and he kicks the soccer ball. He goes swimming, goes bike riding, right? So I say all that to say that from what I know as a, as a parent, but also what I know from many years of doing this and talking to a lot of great coaches, it's, it's about building coordination, Right. So Jim yeah. Liston, the guy I talked to about um, Toronto sports club, or, uh, the science director, he's like at the early days of, of athletics, it's all about building coordination. Who cares about results? Right. They need balance. They need agility. They need speed. They need strength. All of it's just coordination up until they're 12, 13. And you still want to encourage that. But then as they're moving into their teenage years, you're maybe looking more for the results. You're more you're helping them understand in their particular sport how to get some sort of result some sort of technical information, how to get the ball in the hole, whatever that might be. And then as they're getting more and more up into the, the age where they could be recruited, then obviously it's more balanced approach on what they're doing. But I think along the way, the best thing is to find a coach that can help guide you through the process because you're going to be lost as a parent listening to this. If it's your first time, you're not going to know what to do. You're not even going to know what tournaments to play in or what's important and what's not. Should they do high school golf? Should they not? Like all these things depend on your area. So finding a coach that has the experience of pulling, of kind of not pulling, but guiding kids through the, through the stages, I think is really, really important. Um, I think as a sports parent, the best thing that you can do is just be a supportive teammate. You're not there to coach at a certain point. You're there to just be collaborative and uh, encourage the right kind of behavior more so than the technical aspects. Sure. And then Again, when you're looking for a coach, whether it be a professional coach or a college coach, just be 
very thoughtful of who you put your kid with. I've just heard way too many sob stories of coaches. Well, the athlete, not the coach athlete relationship, not being the right fit yet. Parents continue to do it for some reason. And then if anybody is in college looking to play on the professional side, all the same stuff I said applies as far as process, document your journey, all of that. But this is maybe the most uh, cynic side of me is that if you have aspirations to play professionally, I see more people fail making that leap, not because they're not good enough, but because they don't have the support and resources behind them to actually do it. Expand on that. So what I mean by that is like, Oh, you know, I just graduated college. I wasn't an amazing college player, meaning I, I didn't walk out the door with a sports agent and seven PGA tour starts. Right. I'm the average D1 player that's shooting around par, but I feel like I can get good enough. I've had some some showings that would give me the belief that I could play professionally, right? So then you go, okay, well, what does it take to play professionally on the mini tour level? It takes a ton of money, a ton of money. For sure. Right? So you're going to need to make sure that money – isn't the number one concern for you to where if you don't make a a cut that you can't get to the next tournament. So this is a whole nother separate conversation, but all I'm alluding to is that if you want to play at a professional level, understand that there's a certain level of support financially that you have to get organized, whether you get investors, sponsors, family money, work a part-time job, whatever it is, you need to make sure that your financial situation is secure so that you can focus solely on the task at hand and golf's hard enough without all the pressure of money behind you. And the other is just make sure you have a great support team around you. Make sure that the people that are close to you believe in what you're doing so that uh, you're not consistently getting feedback on the contrary when you miss a cut and they're like, told you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're not good enough for this. You don't want to surround yourself with people like that. So I think, if you've kind of heard the a theme throughout this, right? I, I'm I'm really encouraging people through a platform like Coach Now and or just in life in general, just be sensitive of who you're surrounding yourself with because that's going to likely be the different the biggest difference between whether you have success or not. Awesome. Well, where can people find Coach Now? Yeah, so CoachNow.io would be our website. You can find us in the App Store just under Coach Now. You can find us on social media at Coach Now app, and then you can find me, um, and I, I really don't like my uh, social handles, but here it is. It's Spencer uh, <laughs> underscore Dennis one, but if you just search Coach Now and Spencer, you'll probably find me. Um, we're going to continue to do more and more education for coaches, and then as we go, we're, uh, we're going to have a lot of opportunities, I think, that will trickle down to uh, parents and the athletes themselves, so yeah. I hope this was helpful at some level and that uh, anybody listening gets in touch with us. Yeah, I think it was great, Spencer. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And, um, you know, for those listening, I've had the experience to work with coach. Now I believe in the tool in the, in the platform that it is and uh, really encourage you guys to check it out uh, if you haven't and reach out to Spencer and his team for their support. So thanks a lot, Spencer. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Thank you all for joining this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. I hope you were able to take away some valuable information from our guest, Spencer Dennis, that you can apply as a coach, a player, or a parent. 
I highly recommend using the CoachNow platform if you don't already. Also, if you've taken any value away from this podcast, I really hope that you share it. And if you haven't already, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review. I appreciate your attention, and I hope you tune in next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.